Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Pre-podcast advertisement in three, two, one. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed to <laughs> soothe and cradle your natural geometry with three mattress models, the original Casper, the Wave, and the Essential. Not to mention the breathable design helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. And it's delivered right to your door in a small, how-do-they-do-that size box with free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada. And the best part is that you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. After all, you spend one-third of your life life sleeping, so you should be comfortable. Our son Henry has a Casper mattress, he does. but he just left for school, so now the fight over his Casper mattress could turn bloody. <laughs> That's $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash crime, crime and using crime at checkout. That's casper.com slash crime. crime. Use code crime, crime for $50 off your mattress purchase. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, one of the biggest period crime bestsellers comes to the small screen. We'll do an early review of TNT's The Alienist. Also, a new podcast genre. We'll chat about the second person storyline of The Walk. Joining me to dive into all of that is someone who will only take a vigorous walk if it is within a fictional podcast, Kevin Flint. Hello, Kevin. That's cruel and unusual. <laughs> also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and under-the-weather cat lady, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, yes. The cats have all been laying on me, staring at me. Um, I'm not sure if they're waiting to kill me or, or what's going on, but uh, I've had good company. I'm sorry to hear that you are succumbing to what might be the flu. That really sucks. Yeah. And we assure our listeners that it is not transmittable through <laughs> listening to a podcast. Get it in and, your and ears. And you will all write about me and make me sound really good if I succumb to the flu. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. We will. Just think about, like, the things we'll say about you. It's like Dateline. <laughs> She's so full of life. She lit up a room. <laughs> If anyone didn't deserve it, she didn't deserve it. (laughs) (laughs) Meantime, guess who had it coming? And finally, the man who needs no introduction, the brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy and co-host of the Radio Free Dystopia podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. I'm ready to talk, even if it leads us to the darkest pits of hell. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Toby, I do want to give you a chance to uh, plug... Uh, your podcast appearance, you made an appearance on another show this week. Do you want to tell our listeners where they can hear you other than on this podcast? Yeah, I was on uh, The Blotter Presents with Sarah Bunting, and uh, we had a very uh, nice talk about this one David Koresh documentary and another like sort of made-for-TV miniseries. And then we talked about this great movie called Marjo from the 1970s. Hmm. It's got pretty in-depth about cultish type stuff. Cool. So it's like a full-on Toby Fest talking about multiple topics. Huge Toby Fest <laughs> with Sarah Bunting. <laughs> yeah, Sarah Bunting. Who's awesome. She is fantastic. Well, Kevin, the one thing I want to do is just a little bit of podcast business, let people know what it is we're going to be talking about next week. All right. We have our eye on a bevy of true crime and crime-related and crime adjacent offerings coming out in podcast and TV land and our finger is on the pulse of all the things coming our way and all the things that are on now just sort of in the beginning stages but a big thing coming out next week from Audible is their true crime series West Cork Mm -hmm. and for maybe like the second time we 
are like professional reviewers who got advanced copies of the series. So we're going to be listening nice. to it and talking about it next week. And we'll probably talk about something else as well. But that is TBD. But for now, uh, those of you who have pre-ordered West Cork on Audible, it will be out by the time we talk about it next week. So check it out when it downloads to your phone. We can't say anything about it ahead of time, but I can say it is a podcast. <laughs> and it is Irish. West Cork. Goody. It's not about wine. <laughs> Oh, we can say that much. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, so Kevin, I'd to kick off the show with one of these, please. True Crime Podcast Update. Yeah, that was really hearty. Yeah. Nicely done. Well, it's done. the only sound effects we have in the whole podcast, <laughs> so I wanted to do it well. Well, occasionally we have that whole dream harp thing. When we look back in we time. We look back in time. Um, sometimes we have game show things. It's true. <laughs> Well, um, an announcement this week, Bravo, the TV network, has given a two-season straight-to-series order of a scripted anthology series about Dirty John from Universal Cable Productions, the Los Angeles Times Studios, and Atlas Entertainment. So Dirty John, the podcast, the story of that made up Dirty John, is going to be a two-season scripted series on Bravo. Kevin, thoughts? So it's... Wait, okay, they already greenlit two seasons. Apparently. Plus a companion true crime docuseries on Oxygen to go with it. What the? Really? (laughs) I mean, true, Dirty John is really good, but, so it's like following Dirty John, like, like Better Call Saul or Breaking Bad or something like that? I know, it's a scripted series. Yeah. It's going to be like a show based on the Dirty John story. Okay. Um, it's going to be like Real Housewives, except a scripted series. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> well, don't they do, now isn't Bravo the station me. that does Real Housewives? That's what I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, Bravo's the station that does Real Housewives, and yeah. And she kind of, I mean, she's totally a real demographic. Yeah. Say and, about anybody who's attached to it or anybody who's been cast? Or... Listen, I'm sure the long Hollywood Reporter article did, but I only oh, okay. copied and pasted this one sentence into okay. our script. So. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, Jason Ritter... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be playing Dirty John for the next two seasons on Bravo. Mm. Uh, and we get to see his hilarious adventures running around in scrubs and dirty fingernails trying to beg his way into getting uh, anesthesia and, and other painkillers from clinics all around southern New Hampshire and whining and dining rich women. Listen, podcast turning- Southern New Hampshire? Oh, I meant Southern California. That would be a great twist, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would. <laughs> now, this is like the whole thing. This is what's happening. Podcasts are getting turned into TV shows. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. The Startup Podcast, which is the first podcast produced by Gimlet, is being turned into a TV show produced by and starring Zach Braff. Mm-hmm. Gimlet announced today that it's spinning off a television and film production network as part of Gimlet mm-hmm. Media. They're going to be producing Homecoming, starring Julia Roberts, as a scripted TV series. So this is mm-hmm. the next thing. So, I mean... All I got to say is, like, Crime Writers on, the scripted series. Like, forget all these. <laughs> we need a scripted series. Who, who out there is a producer? We we have, like, a whole bunch of, like, folks that do different things. And I, and I want to talk sometime about the Facebook post where everybody mentioned what their careers were. Yeah. But here it is. This is the series, okay? Okay, ready? Pitch it. It's yeah. the scripted series. Mm-hmm. And it's about a man and his wife. Mm-hmm. And they are true crime writers. And it's heart to heart meets castle, right? <laughs> and they go out and they just say like, "Oh, we're dopey and we're gonna just like write this book," but they accidentally always solve the the crime. Right, but how do Laura and Toby fit into this scripted series? Screw them. They're not <laughs> what? They, what? I mean, we're, we're oh, Shaggy and Velma. They could be I the mean, crazy we're... neighbors. No, here's what I see. I see more I, like we're not casting us. Yeah, I, I see more like a community what? type show. Mm-hmm. Group of people oh, like, sitting around a room who make a podcast, com- yes, yeah. and starring like funny, interesting people. And like the fact that we all make a podcast together is just ancillary to the fact that mm-hmm. like we have all these other things going on. Mm-hmm. I it, think that we could do more of like a community style. Yeah, we've already done series. the casting for it, right? Am I Alan Arkin or? I don't remember. Yeah, I forget who I was. <laughs> David Schwimmer. <laughs> Pat Oswalt. Well, Pat Oswalt. Well, I was yeah. I was lobbying last week to get in the possible Exeter TV show. I was working that angle really hard. Um, our town is a finalist for the Small Business Revolution contest, and if so, you guys could see me on this, and that would be very exciting. That would be exciting. Um, I actually heard about that from one of my colleagues today, who lives in your town, who said yeah. who said you seem to be all over that on social media. So, um, yeah, anybody out there interested in making a scripted series about the four has to include the four of us. That's the challenge. 
because we don't even like sit together when we record this podcast. I just want it to be about me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know you do. We just want a production credit so we can get some uh, TV money. We want some of that yeah. cheese. <laughs> we want some of that cheddar. I, yeah. <laughs> I have another one of these for you, Kevin. Can you please read this again for me? Dirty John. <laughs> Oh, you pointed to the wrong thing. You want above it? True Crime Podcast Update. Now, Slate's historical retrospective podcast, Slow Burn, finished its look at Watergate. Uh, Season one of Slow Burn wrapped up. Laura and Toby, did you finish listening to season one of Slow Burn? Yes. I have one more episode to go. Ooh, you do. So you haven't heard the big announcement. All right, well. No, but you can you can tell me. It's okay. Okay, so Toby, what did you think of uh, Slow Burn as a series in total now that it's over, the first season of it? Did you enjoy it as much as I did? Yeah, I thought it was great. I think it's one of the best things that we've listened to. Totally. And um, big announcement at the end. Do you want to reveal to our audience what Slow Burn season two is going to be about? Uh, I think I missed it. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's like Crime Writers on. You got to listen to the very very end. I think they did a good job because at the end of the episode, he said, "Hang in there, and we're going to tell you at the end of this yeah. what the second season is." Sit through these about. credits, you'll get rewarded. I know. All right, I so know. The suspense is killing me. All right, what Kevin. What is the second season of Slow Burn going to be about? Slow Burn will be back, looking at the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Yep, season oh. two. Getting closer and closer to the present day. I know. I think it should be good, though, because I think that, like, in a lot of ways, people talk about all these political stories as being origin stories for today's climate mm-hmm. or whatever. But, like, you can tie a lot of today's climate to the Bill Clinton years in the 90s mm-hmm. and the sort of the seeding of uh-huh. the divisive, the war between the parties and the special prosecutor stuff. I think it's going to be super interesting. I was I was down in D.C. during that time. You were, so you're going to have a lot to add to our conversation. I was yeah. working for Congressional Quarterly. Like it was like that was my life. Holy nuts! <laughs> Maybe you'll be an interviewee in uh, Slow Burn season two. Offer yourself Seems up. Unlikely. You know, Leon Nafok. When we, he knows we've talked about his podcast, I have it on the uh, DL that he actually listens to this podcast. So maybe. Leon. Leon. <laughs> we found Call you a source. <laughs> Call up Bobby, Bobby Tall. Tall. Yeah. Bobby Tall needs a yeah. cameo. <laughs> we won't reveal his name. We'll just call him Bobby. <laughs> like, like a Banksy voice on yes. Toby? Yeah. <laughs> when I worked for Congressional Quarterly. <laughs> <laughs> but see, unlike Watergate, where it's sort of like a generation beyond most of us, and it it doesn't live in our actual memories, just sort of like our those of us with a, a sense of history, and maybe we've seen things on television or retrospectives. Uh, for many of us, not all of us, but for many of us, we're old enough to remember and have lived through that impeachment process. And there's certainly way more people around who are connected oh, yeah. to that. Uh, you know, so I think there's a lot of fodder there for a great, not only a great retrospective, but also to talk about the statement about what the podcast is, is a slow burn. Right. It didn't happen all at once. So to kind of savor in all the details of how it got to the, you know, the flashpoint. I think that's a, that worked really well. I think it worked really well, too. And I think what's going to be interesting about the Bill Clinton series is I think that people... You know, and I think, you know, a lot of people listen to podcasts, a lot of people in their 20s, early 30s, like they were kids, little kids when this mm-hmm. happened. It, it isn't part of their consciousness as far as understanding that, like, Newt Gingrich, as we see him today, sort of like rose to prominence during this period. And like all these like talking heads that are on TV today, like this is where that came from. And all these like like Susan McDougal and Paula Jones and like all these sort of Web Hubble, mm-hmm. all these Weird little side characters. Right, right. It's pretty Ken interesting. Star. Yeah. Ken Starr. <laughs> God. Yeah. What was the girl's name? Monica something? My, it's a... I am praying, she hoping and praying now, she? that Monica she Lewinsky will be in the podcast because she has had like this really interesting career in the last couple of years. She's been doing a lot of talking. She was did a, a great TED Talk about being publicly shamed and sort mm-hmm. of how she came back from that. She's hooked up with John Ronson. They did, they've given some talks together at conferences. She's super interesting on social media. I would be so thrilled if we got to hear sort of the, her perspective of, you know, being this very young woman caught in this incredibly public maelstrom and um, this salaciousness of it. But I, I think the story is interesting far beyond uh, the stuff that we remember about it, far beyond the Lewinsky stuff. Far, I mean, just the political stuff is going to be great. So I'm really excited about it. All right. Speaking of being excited about a season two of something, Kevin, can you please read this for me? True crime podcast update. Perfect. 
Another season two announcement that we really liked to hear. Our best friend, John David Booter, will be back with another deep dive true crime investigation for his season two, which he announced in a special episode of Done Disappear that he dropped this week. Let's just listen to a quick clip of what he'll be talking about in season two. This summer, Done Disappeared will return with a brand new season. And this time, we're doing something a little different. We're tackling a new case, a case that took place decades ago in a time almost nobody knows anything about, a time before cell phones, a time before drones, and a time just after the bicycle was invented. That's right. Season two of Done Disappeared will cover a crime from the 1980s. We've already learned so much about the 1980s in our research for the upcoming season and cannot wait to appropriate the aesthetic of this magical decade for our true crime podcast, Done Disappeared, with me, John David Booter. So, Laura Bricker, are you looking forward to hearing our friend Booter tackle a case from the 80s and, of course, appropriate the aesthetic from that decade? (laughs) I am looking forward to some deep pulsing 80s background music. Um... Some bicycle riding kids. I mean, the <laughs> possibilities are endless. Yeah, yeah. Um, it won't be too soon when it comes out. So I will be supporting this cause. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, will you be uh, checking out Done Disappeared Season 2? Are you excited to get this announcement in our feeds this week? You know, this is the first I've heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> but Trying to contain I'm, himself. Yeah, I'm, yeah, it's nice that he's branching out a little bit, and I'll, I'll definitely listen. Now, uh, John David Booter is also, I should mention, the purpose of his special episode, which is like a full little 10-minute special episode, is that he's also promoting his funding model for season two. There is a real Indiegogo campaign attached to season two of Done Disappeared, and for different levels of donation, offerings uh, include stickers, autographs, a Skype Blue Apron date with John David Booter himself. And uh, the level at which our show, The Crime Writers On, contributed, we will be receiving our very own big box of shit. All right. <laughs> I actually kind of don't want him to fulfill that request. I did put a note on our donation that said, please don't let it be literally shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then also, I was really surprised to see, and Kevin, I'd love your take on this, uh, Mike Bodette, the host of the Sword and Scale podcast. Mm-hmm ponied up $1,000 toward this Indiegogo effort and tweeted about it and said, this shit ain't free, folks. I kind of think Sword and Scale got the full booter treatment in this podcast. Is it cool of him to go a step up and do that? They did a, he did a whole episode about us. Yes. We got the full Buddha treatment. We did, but yeah. but we didn't get the um, turn off your podcast. You're going to listen to the most disgusting clip it was you've a ever great, heard. It was, it, like, it was a great one. And look, we know like, you, you heard it. John didn't have any real advertisers. Right. I keep calling him John. We, okay, come His on. name is John. Come on. I don't want to say that there's no Santa Claus, guys, but come on. You, we know David John David Booter is a fictional character, and the guy behind it did a brilliant job and did it on a shoestring, but- didn't make any money on it, right. and that's great. You know, it, it, we, he did it for the art, and but it'd be great if he wants to continue it. Yes, you know, no money, no mission, and it'd be nice if uh, people kicked in and. You know, I think if you enjoyed it as much as we did, you do it for us. Yeah, we do. We're going to just pass it forward. Let's put a link in the end for the Indiegogo page on our on our show notes and this week's podcast. But yeah. I should I should mention that some of the things he says he wants to do with the money he's trying to raise is um, replace his 2010 MacBook Pro, <laughs> <laughs> which look over we there. We actually literally have a 2010 MacBook which Pro is that we're also completely crapping out. But that's a different conversation. And he also wants to build a uh, podcast shed in the backyard of his mother June's house. That's funny. <laughs> I, I assume. <laughs> oh, that is so funny. In which he Gotta will reinforce be, the floor, though. In which he will be recording. Reinforce yeah. the floor. All right. Well, um, good luck to you, John David Booter. We look forward to hearing season two. And of course, we're going to talk about it on the show. All right. So before uh, we move to our main event of the night, I wanted to talk about a podcast that uh, came out. It's a new podcast from Panoply. We're not going to do a full review. It's more the concept of the podcast that I want to talk about because I asked you guys to take a listen to it. These are the same folks who brought us the message, uh, Panoply, the podcast company. And this is a drama called The Walk. It is a completely different style of podcast. In it, the listener is the protagonist. It's it's a, an immersive narrative where the listener is on a mission that goes wrong 
and then is being hunted, uh, falsely suspected of being a terrorist. And what's different about this podcast is the way the story is told. Hurry. Attention all passengers. For safety reasons, we have been informed we have to evacuate the station. Normal service may not be resumed until the end of the day. Oh, damn, the police already. I didn't think they'd be here so quickly. Not as bad as the burn, but we can't let them clock you. I heard about that trouble you had in Shanghai last year. Don't want a repeat of that. Come with me. Side exit. Madam, Madam, there's no exit down the tunnel in that Don't direction. Don't look back. All passengers must Just ignore him. Keep walking. Toby, I'd love to get your kind of first impressions of the walk after listening to a couple episodes. I guess my feeling was is that it's a good idea. And, you know, kudos to them for trying something different. I think that the execution, at least for me, wasn't that ideal. I thought there was a lot of, you know, trying to explain things through sort of bad dialogue. Mm. And hopefully there'll be one that kind of learns from this one that that is, is maybe a little more clever with how they reveal information, which I would definitely like be interested in listening to. The other thing is that it, it's it like really demands that you pay attention. Mm-hmm. If you're driving around in a car while you're listening to it and like <laughs> you, you focus on like actually driving for a few seconds and then you come back to it and you're like have no idea what's going on. Right. Which is why you shouldn't focus on driving. You should just be. <laughs> I know. That was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. And then they also have little like musical cues, which were bizarre because the rest of it is, I mean, they're trying to be immersive and like this is actually happening to you. And at least for me- like, I don't usually have, like, background music when stuff happens. So, so that, that kind of took me out a little bit. But, but you know, I, I mean, it's something completely new. And I, like, thinking about trying to create something like that, I think it's probably going to be really hard to do well. Mm-hmm. But hopefully somebody will. Now, Kevin, you have some sound design experience, radio mm-hmm. theater experience. And this podcast has a lot of sound design. Right. When you listen to it, do you feel like it's happening around you or do you feel like it's happening to you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, there's we as a uh, you know as a media consuming public do have some experience in this kind of field. I mean, for all of those years of old time radio, and even with the what is there like a quarter million podcasts that you could. Yeah. I mean, there's an you know incredible number of podcasts. This hasn't this sort of second person narrative hasn't been done often. Certainly not to anything like you, you know to the point that like. Uh, you could name off the top of your head a title where this has been done and done well. But for things where, you know, it's very much like in a video game where you are the protagonist, it works because it is interactive. It's the choose your own adventure part of it. And so it is almost like you're just kind of sitting in a ride in Disney World and everything is happening around you. You're, right. a, partici- you're a participant, but you, have, you don't have any agency. Right. It isn't like you can say, oh, uh, okay, I am the walker and now I'm going to turn left. So I'm going to download you know, episode A and, and go right, it goes B. So I don't know, it kind of works, but but if your question is, is this, are you part of it or is it happening to you? It's happening to you. Right, right. Now, Laura, I know this podcast elicited some strong feelings <laughs> <laughs> for you. Do you want to <laughs> talk about that? Yeah, so we all listened to this as a family last weekend. We were driving up to go skiing, and um, like so it was five all of minutes, you doing it. The whole family, <laughs> the whole family was yes. walking. There was Walker, Walker, Walker. You know, five minutes in, Ken goes, "Why are we still listening to this?" <laughs> I thought about this, and it really annoyed me. I felt like I was listening to a video game, and mm-hmm. I was like, I felt like I needed the like visual component of the video game to actually understand what was happening because it was just way too confusing in the way that it was being told. So I said, you know, I think I'm the wrong demographic for this particular podcast and this particular story because my son, who's 11, he loved it. He's like, mom, this is just like a video game. Oh, this is interesting. So I think the concept is, is you know, maybe going to evolve and reach somebody that might find this appealing. For me, I was like, it, it drove me crazy mm-hmm. listening to it. It was just so confusing. And then the big fake explosion sounds. But, but you have to give them credit for trying. The story, I don't think really lent itself to being a podcast type of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe a different story I might have had a different reaction to. Right. Um, but th- this particular story, I was just like, I-, I was like, I could just stand downstairs when my son and his friends are playing the Xbox and have the same experience. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, that was exactly my reaction. You know, we have video game playing kids in our house. And, you know, my older son has been playing games like um, Call of Duty and so forth for years. And, 
it is an immersive experience. It's also a social experience because you're doing it with people. Like he usually goes online with his friends and they are a team together and it's sort of pro-social. They're like working together to accomplish, you know, a goal in the game and things are happening to them. And they also do have agency. Like Kevin said, they can make rights. They can make lefts. Uh, you know, if you play a game like Skyrim, you can get married and you can go into people's houses and look through their books and, you know, burn down villages. You can actually do things. Our 15-year-old son... <laughs> adopted a kid in Skyrim. He did. did. He's a father in Skyrim, yes. How can you go out and slay dragons (laughs) if you just adopted a kid? That is messed up. Yeah, remember when Henry used to play Skyrim when he was like 13 and he got married? He got married. (laughs) Well, like to an orc or something? It was... It's like, how can you go out and save the realm when like your wife wants you home for... You can't go out, mister. How can you never take me out with the storm the castle? I know that Teddy's playing Skyrim. We keep saying, like, are you worried that you're going to run into Henry's ex-wife? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, I kept thinking when I was listening to this, to me, this is the wrong kind of story to tell in this way. Yeah. First of all, it's not well written. It's a very hackneyed mm-hmm. adventure story. It's not. It, there's nothing new or interesting about it. I think an interesting experiment in this medium, this like thing where you are the first person, that you are the protagonist in the podcast, would be something more like a mystery or maybe even something a little bit more personal. Like I was thinking about the show, you know, 13 Reasons Why, the idea that you're listening to someone talking to you and sort of people revealing things to you as it goes, Mm -hmm. um, which is sort of a mystery too, but it could be more of a personal experience. I don't know. I just don't think this is the right story and the right writing and the right acting uh the exposition was so swing and a miss silly swing and a miss but a worthy swing i will say um kevin if you were to create a first person podcast (laughs) what would it be about (laughs) this is it babe (laughs) we're doing it (laughs) i'm the hero you're the Uh, hero you uh, you think you're the hero of this show our (laughs) listeners would disagree i know they would i'm pretty sure if you look at our our facebook group responses toby is clearly the hero of our show Oh, yes. People Toby, have to identify the f- who their favorite of the four of us That's right. Are. Silver Fox. Silver Fox. The Silver Fox. Yep. So basically, Rebecca, you're saying this did not work for you. No, it did not work for me. I know. You know what will work for you? What's that? An audio book. Yes. From Audible. Hell yeah, it will. Audiobooks are a great way <laughs> for helping you be a better you. Mm. Whether you want to feel healthier, get motivated, or maybe learn something new. It's the new year, so now's a great time to check out the unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more. So try a book like You Are a Badass at Making Money. Will I become one after I read this book? You probably will. Can't wait. I'm going to listen to that tomorrow. And if you want to get a little healthier, you know, one of the books you can listen to, The Obesity Code. Oh, I thought the book was going to be called Stop Drinking, Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Rebecca, I hate to tell you, but it's basically the same thing. Okay. Or to be inspired, Braving the Wilderness or The Power of Habit. Those are just some of the great titles that you can get from Audible. It's like what? a self-help theme to this Audible ad. Oh, absolutely. I like it. Now's the time. And of course, hey, Audible's got a whole bunch of other great stuff you can listen to. Mysteries, comedies, bestsellers. Podcasts. Podcasts. Whether it's on your phone, through your car, from a tablet, or at home on your Amazon Echo, you can get through tons of books while doing almost anything. Yep. Or Almost nothing. Yep. And Audible even lets you switch seamlessly between devices picking up exactly where you left off. So I do that. So to uh, start a 30-day trial and get your first audio book for free, go to audible.com slash crime or text crime to 500-500. I love that. Now remember this because we're going to be talking soon about West Cork. Yes. If you don't have Audible already, you're going to want to remember this code. Oh, so you can get the free month, mm-hmm. download West Cork because it's all coming out at once. Yep. I mean, I'm sure Audible will be releasing it as a podcast later because that's what they did with their last original series. But you can listen to it now if you, with your free trial, as you text, what is it, crime? Crime. 500-500 or go to audible.com slash crime. That's for a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook. You can do it with audiobooks. Very, very cool. What else you got, Kevin? Well, uh, it's almost Valentine's Day. It is? Don't give me that. Is it? It is? It is. It is. (laughs) Do you have something for me? Nope. Uh, yeah, I know. I suck at Valentine's Day. Well, here, I'm going to help you. All right. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Mm-hmm. 
That's your answer. Because right now, when you order early, you can get 12 multicolor roses for only $19.99, or you can double it to 24 for only $10 more. Now, what you do is you go to 1-800-Flowers.com. And when you get to the, the homepage, there's a little... Uh, You're on the homepage right now. Yeah, you, there's a little thing right here, and you click on it. It's a, it's a microphone, a radio icon, and you put in our code, which is CRIME. And it brings you to the special page. You're welcome, Crime Writers Podcast listeners. Oh, that's very personal. It's a whole page. Very custom. With just stuff. Now, right up top, you can get this great deal. One dozen assorted roses starting at $19.99. You can save like $15 off the regular price. Two dozen for $29.99. You're saving 50%. But look, at there's all these. Look at Rebecca. All these other great deals here. Wow. Where you save money on different things. You can see the deals. I mean, everything from like, baskets and chocolates and flowers and it's roses and uh, lo- here's some lovely lilies and this gift basket, Waterford Crystal Rose. I mean, it's just a whole bunch of stuff that you can get when you shop at 1-800-Flowers. But, I mean, this is a super deal that you don't want to miss because bouquet prices will be going up soon, so you got to take advantage today. That's a dozen multicolor roses for $19.99 or $24 for just $10 more. To order your dozen roses for $19.99 or upgrade to two dozen, for just $10 more, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter CRIME. CRIME. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code CRIME. CRIME. It's really fancy. That page looks very custom. I it know. They put, a lot of, they put a lot of love into everything. Not only their fresh-picked flowers, but their special webpage for Crime Writers Podcast listeners. It's worth going to the webpage just to look at it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but believe me, at that price, you are not just going to walk away. All right. Well, moving on. It was a major bestseller when it was published in 1994 and led to... I loved it. Stephen King? No. Oh, oh, I interrupted. I'm about to say what it is. And led to a string of imitators who tried to capture its crime in the turn of the century feel. Caleb Carr's The Alienist intrigued audiences with gruesome murders and police commissioner Teddy Roosevelt's Turn of the Century New York and with its obscure professional title in the book's name... Now the network TNT is bringing the mystery to the small screen with a 10-part series that you have probably seen a million advertisements for. Uh, I know that we saw a million advertisements for it before it came on, correct? Yeah. Well, Uh, we watch a lot of Law & Order, so we haven't seen it. (laughs) That's true. Uh, The show airs Monday nights, and the first two episodes are available online and on demand. Now, regarding spoilers, we've only seen the first two episodes of the show, so you're probably safe listening in. There's also a book out there. It's not like it's, not <laughs> it's been out there for 20 years. <laughs> but if you really just rather hear our thumbs up or thumbs down on whether or not you should check out The Alienist, skip ahead to the time code that we will put right in the show notes. Now, quick poll of the panel. Uh, I will say I have. Who else besides me has read The Alienist by Caleb Carr? Not, Kevin? Not I. That's right. You don't read. Uh, Toby, what about you? <laughs> yep. Uh, Laura, what about you? Nope. Okay, so this is a new story to Laura and Kevin. Yep. Now, Caleb Carr's book, Toby, I'll just have this quick conversation with you, was immensely popular. Were you a fan? I'd love to hear what your thoughts were on the book. I thought it kind of sucked. Oh. Um, <laughs> so when it, came, when it came out, look, it had two things going for it, which was that it had a cool name, The Alienist, and then the cover was really creepy. It was sort of the shot of the sky, I think, from you know that period like walking through the snow or on a street or something, but he's all kind of by himself. Uh, it was very evocative. You know, the book itself, it's just, and it's, I'm just going to echo a lot of this stuff talking about the show. I thought it was really poorly written. I think he had a, basically a good idea, obviously knew a ton about the era, but just couldn't write like, just like the normal stuff that you think of when you think of good fiction. It's like his characters were bad. His dialogue was bad. You know, the plot was like, okay, but was hardly any different than something you would find in something that would take place today, mm-hmm. except for like these details that, that that harken back to the time. So I was really psyched to read it, and then I read it and was like pretty disappointed. I remember reading it. I remember enjoying Caleb Carr's clear enjoyment of the period stuff. You know, I remember there being a lot of detail about the food, the clothing, you know. Going out to dinner at Delmonico's. Yeah, that was like, that was like in 1890. Yeah, there was a lot of that kind of thing. And um, I remember thinking it was cool, but I can't say that it, it, you know, stands out to me as like a mystery that in 2017, like I want to go back in 20 plus years and make a show out of. Um, Kevin, I'm curious, what do you think when, when book adaptations, like, you know, 
popular novel Mm -hmm. adaptations get turned into movies, television series. How important do you think it is to remain faithful to the aesthetic, the plot, you know, sort of the way the book is when you when you adapt it for the screen? So the the unasked question within that question is, should the killer in the book be the same killer in the, yeah, the TV show? But also, okay. should should the should the pacing be the same? Should the yeah yeah? Oh well, okay. But but to the the stated question, um, I think because you know the just by the the idea that somebody said this book this story was so great, we want to adapt it into a, a film or a, you know a TV show. I think is the cue that you don't stray far from the source material because that's sort of the proven winner. There are some that that stay very close to it. I mean, obviously you have to truncate it, but you know, I think the Da Vinci Code uh, movie was you know very faithful to the book. I think Stanley Kubrick's take on The Shining was pretty different than what Stephen King thought. I mean, I know that's different when Stephen King thought. And, Great film, though. Yeah, which is one of the reasons why he went back, Stephen King did, and, and, and blessed a ABC miniseries. A terrible version of The Shining. No, I actually thought, it was, well, that was a lot closer to the book. The right. book is, yeah, is, is fantastic. The movie is a scary. masterpiece. Yeah, I think that Seven Days of the Condor became Three Days of the Condor when right. they made the movie. Right. Yeah, I don't think you the, the big plot stuff you, you, you swap up. It's not like what HBO ended up doing with True Blood, where they, like, end up going off in like completely different directions with the characters. People want that story. Now, Laura, we are in a period piece in The Alienist. <laughs> you um, said period. Just before the turn of the century in New York, it's um, shown to us again and again and again in myriad ways. Does the show capture that for you? You know, Not being familiar with the book, I don't know how familiar you are with the period itself, do you feel like you are in a place in time when you are watching the first couple episodes of this show? So, so. I, you know, I think I was very distracted by the ridiculous sleeves that um, Dakota Fanning was wearing on the dress in the first episode. I was like, I can't, I can't take this seriously. These are ridiculous. And I think for me, I felt like a lot of it was they were keeping things very dark, Mm. which, you know, when they were filming things and different scenes were very dark. I don't know if that was supposed to be kind of, you know, an ode to, you know, less lighting. But for me, that was hard to follow because I couldn't see it was like that Lincoln movie that came out a few years back. You couldn't see very well. So you really had to pay attention. You mean in the era where they had no electric lights, it was hard to see (laughs) at night. Okay. You know what? It's about my experience, Kevin. Okay, it's true. It's true. <laughs> you know, we're in 2018. We got to have some lighting. It's always a full moon. What the hell? I know. It's like a super blood moon or whatever it is this week. So, yeah, I mean, I think they did, but, you know, I not as much as shows that we've talked about recently, like The Crown, where I really think they just were spectacular in the way that they captured the period in, in the middle for me. Yeah, I actually think it kind of sucks. I mean, I think that the best piece of media that looks at New York in this period of time is Martin Scorsese's The Age of Innocence. Have any of you seen that movie? Toby, have you seen that movie? I have not. <laughs> oh, damn a it. A long time ago. Well, I saw it a long time ago. You know, that is a movie, and it's a very melodramatic movie, but it was a great film at the time and contained some great performances, but that movie, and granted, it's a different place in that period of time in New York. It's, you know, wealthy mm-hmm. uh, New York, but they do and a is really... Is the Gangs of New York also the same Gangs of New period? York has yeah. the same, yeah, it's a sort of that same, like, off a few years here and there. But yeah, it's that sort of like, you know, early New York where down south was terrible and up north was nice. And I think the show tries in myriad ways, and the costuming is one of the ways that they try. And the costuming to me is actually the more interesting part but i of I, the alienist yeah okay. i i just i just want to talk about the uh kind of the main characters we have dr laszlo chrysler we have uh john moore his buddy and we have um sarah howard played by dakota fanning now she is the secretary of the police commissioner who at the time was theodore roosevelt mm-hmm. who is also a character in the show a more prominent character in the show in my memory than in the book in the book he's mentioned but doesn't appear i don't think in quite so many scenes and this gang in the show coalesces and gets together as an investigative team. Oh, and they also have these two like scrappy uh, other cops who are also twin detectives. Twin detectives. They don't look, they're fraternal twins. They had to be explained. That. Yes. Uh, this gang sort of coalesces in the show very quickly. It comes together very quickly in a way that I think works maybe formulaically for TV, but was kind of a little much and maybe not as organic as it could have been. Toby, how did you think about the way the sort of the plotting was set up in the TV show in the first couple episodes with the you know, the way the gang comes together, the way the case is presented to them. Did that work for you? So it just it's one of those things where, where it relies on 
like a bunch of coincidences like person A is friends with person B, person B is friends with person C who just happens to work for Teddy Roosevelt. And so that all works out nicely. I don't think we even find out how they know, or at least after two episodes, how they know the the twins. Like they, they seem like they kind of show up out of nowhere. Um, yeah. I mean, the whole thing, it's just not, it's just not very good. Mm. You know, I mean, it's just, you look for like some kind of like reasonable causation for things to happen, or you expect people to act in ways that you think would be realistic. And it just has kind of none of that. It's like everything kind of goes the way it should in order to make the plot move along rather than the way things would, you think normally happen so that if somebody's like, you can't go up there and the big bluff is, well, Teddy Roosevelt said he wanted to see me. And the guy's like, Oh, (laughs) all right. Well, I guess we'll go up there then, (laughs) you know? And it's just like, what, you know, no cops going to like, if you say so. (laughs) Yeah. So I don't know. I think it sort of lives down to my memory of the book, which is that it's not very good. The Pope wants to see me. All right, go on in. One of my favorite (laughs) conceits of the show is that uh, Moore, the sort of Watson to Chrysler's uh, homes, is an illustrator. He's supposed to be a New York Times illustrator. He has a lot of society illustration, and um, Chrysler uses him to do quick crime scene drawings. And so he goes to this, you know, very this opening scene crime scene, which is this like horribly mutilated young boy and does a drawing of it. And then throughout the series, the first episode, we see him sort of giving the drawing to other people. And I'm like, <laughs> did he make copies of this drawing? <laughs> did he like just draw the same drawing on like 10 different pieces of paper? He's tracing paper. So it's sort of like the logistics of having like an illustrator be a character that is drawing things to show people what it looked like. And I'm like... He's. We've already like demonstrated that he was sick when he saw the crime scene. He was. It was revolting to him so much that the Chrysler is like, "You didn't draw this authentically." But then he has all these copies, so it's like you didn't improve it the second time. You made one. I, I even thought while I was watching that, I was like, "Why did they even bother showing?" Like, it seems like it would have been much more interesting to have your vision of this child's mutilated corpse be the drawing right. instead of like showing this kind of half-assed special effects corpse. Because uh, I think that, that makes it a little more, uh, it, it puts you more in the place of the doctor, right? Because that's what he's seeing. And, you know, you can sort of figure out for yourself if you want to make the same criticism. But that seemed like a, a more interesting choice than here's this, like, dead kid w- who's mutilated right. that you have to look at. And then they, like, go into his eye socket for some reason with the camera. <laughs> it's like, what the hell is that all about? It was a weird dissolve transition. Um, Laura, they the come sort of gang, cast of characters, Scooby gang working to solve a crime. What do you think of this formula? We see it again and again and again. We see it uh, done in new ways, like in Stranger Things and, you know, in other shows that sort of bring people together in interesting combinations. And then we have this. Do you think that this is done well in this show or do you think this is uh, just a rehash of an old formula? Well, it probably wasn't an old formula at the time that this book came out. But now it sort of feels to me like overused formula. Like I'm like, okay, so we have this woman, you know, and and she's not respected and she's not supposed to have a proper position, but she's going to anyway. And I mean, she reminds me of like Jane Tennyson, Mm -hmm. um, like the young Tennyson series that was on, um, what was that on earlier this year? PBS. You know, the psychologist, same thing. He's not quite given, you know, he's still, that's kind of like a new thing. So they're not really sure about him. And I mean, you can already see where this is going, where Dakota Fanning's character is going to get romantically involved with the guy that she knows somehow, maybe. I mean, it seems like you you can kind of see where the pieces are going to fall long before they land. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for me, when I was watching this, I was thinking, you know, this book, when did this book come out? Like 94, 95? Yeah, mid-90s, yep. And from my understanding, the TV rights were picked up pretty soon after that. So I feel like maybe had this story been told before 2018, um, it might not have felt so overdone and it might not have been like something we'd already seen. Right. I I almost feel like they waited. And I don't know why they waited, but I feel like they just waited too long. They might have missed the window on this story. I don't disagree, especially given the concept, Kevin, the alienist. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're given that quick little thing at the beginning that explains what an alienist is, is that, you know, what was it that people believed that there was uh, yourself and your alien self and the alienist. That's what they called psychologists, basically. Right. Yeah. And we're told that people don't trust alienists. Right. We're told that. 
And yet, except for like one person, he's a celebrity alien. He's a celebrity. So, yeah. He's like a big school where he like takes. Oh, care. mayor. Yeah, yes, so. you know, he like goes into the ward where the syphilitic, insane guy is like, and he's like, "Let me into the cell." And it, it all feels very retread, right? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, I didn't read the book, so I don't know I'm how original. I'm not talking about the it, book. No, I'm talking well, about this idea that like this kind of investigator is an outsider. And yet has sure. this magic power to sort of right. come to conclusions that the audience but, is just supposed to believe are but, true. But let me finish. It's like Jeremiah in Alias Grace. Yeah. Not too different. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I, I don't know if this was uh, how fresh this would have felt in 1994 when the character was written. But, yeah, the sort of the idea that it's a different take on, although not very different, a different take on, on Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson where, you know, a Holmes character is the one who's a little off and has superpowers of observation and knows things that uh, other people don't because he is... Magic. He's magic. He's got a giant brain. And uh, maybe he's a little off, you know, he likes to do heroin. And, you know, that's... uh, I don't know what this doctor likes to do, but... Act poorly? Act poorly. (laughs) Some of the dialogue is pretty... Bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I will say that some, some. <laughs> can you identify the the pieces that weren't? Uh, I think there was a no, don't stop or something like that. It was. Uh, I'll, it was I'll okay. say this: it's pain. The acting at times is painful in the show. Well, I think what ends up happening is if you try to sometimes if you try to write dialogue for that you think is of a period mm-hmm. or of a you know of a certain dialect or way of speaking that doesn't come natural to the actors, it does come off as being pretty stilted. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of what it suffers from and while sort of like what might be 19th century turns of phrases you know and the way they set up sentences is like you could just I could just hear the commas in the middle of the sentence in a way that you would never right uh, that you would that a person would never speak right I think Dakota Fanning is a good actress and I think mm-hmm. she's good in this I think she's yeah. doing the best she can with what she has the poor poor actor and I only call him poor because I just feel like he's in way over his head who's playing Theodore Roosevelt Oh, literally looks like he doesn't know what to do with his hands when he's talking. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of that thing that when you go to high school plays and you see kids acting and they sort of just have their hands like in this weird position in front of their body like this, like in space right here. Yeah. Every scene with Theodore Roosevelt is like this. And what a huge wasted opportunity that was, because I remember, you know, in the 90s, it was cool that he was a character in this novel uh, or that he was just, you know, I think that's how I learned that Theodore Roosevelt had been police commissioner in the city of New York was from reading this novel. Yeah. And not, he, not from Theodore Rex, which was like this masterpiece I read of Theodore a book. Rex in 2001 when I was pregnant with my son Henry so that was many years that didn't that wasn't out at the time I don't mm-hmm. think um, but I, I do think that this is huge wasted opportunity you had this cool character who is Theodore Roosevelt and to cast him with this poor actor who just seems to be learning on the job I don't know there's something about it that really bums well, me out well apparently we won't see him after episode two so <laughs> that that's what the IMDB, IMDB says <laughs> yeah <laughs> One thing I do want to address that I think the show really is doing its hardest to try to show us mm-hmm. is the treatment of immigrant populations, poor immigrants mm-hmm. in the city of New York in this time, in this mm-hmm. period of time in America. We have the Irish cops who are sort of like one up over the Italian immigrants who uh-huh. they beat up, live in tenements, call them dagos, uh, really showing that sort of caste society of the waves of immigrants mm-hmm. and sort of the way they were treated in America. And it's a relevant conversation now. Laura, do you think the show is making any hay with this? No, it's something, you know, that was one of the more compelling sort of side stories or themes that was going on in the show. But for me, the one that really stood out, you know, was these young boy prostitutes and just the level to which they were being exploited and just that they, they were such a vulnerable population. Uh, so that to me was what stood out more than the sort of dynamics between the different immigrants. But those two themes, I think, you know, I hope they do maybe focus on those a little bit more because that was something that definitely made more of an impact than other parts of the story. We talked about sort of like what seems fresh and what doesn't. And I'll definitely say that what was probably very premonitory for 1994 was this whole idea of looking at, in a very sympathetic way, transvestites. 
Transgender. Transgender. Well, at the time. Right. Yeah. Okay. But the term today, like that's today's term and we're accepting it and this is new and exciting right, right. for civil rights. But go back 20 years and this is, you know, and a, a guy in a dress is a punchline and it's like- at, 20 at years the, ago. 20 years ago. Right. When he's right. And, and then at the time, 100 years ago, right? It's freakish and bad and whatnot. But he takes it and he, he, he puts some humanity to it and some sympathy to it and, and in a way that- you know, we might take for granted today, oh, of course, when you write a book about that, this is the way you're going to treat these kinds of characters, but maybe not for mid- for the mid-90s. Right, but the problem is... And, and now I think it's of its time, yeah. Yeah, but the problem is it wasn't of its time. I mean, I mean, I do think that there was an underground, and I know that there was. I mean, Walt Whitman wrote about it, sort of an underground scene in New York in the 1800s. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, there were gay clubs. There were... Um, but that's not at the time, the dens, knowledge, the dens of right? Iniquity. No, no, the, they, were. they were. They were actually frequented by people in high society uh, who sort of lived like parallel lives. Okay. That but, was a thing in New York. But right. the problem here is that you have this psychologist mm-hmm. who ostensibly is telling like parents who came to him because their boy wanted to dress like his twin sister and saying this is just natural this is who he is it's a part of who he is and i'll tell you like that is not something a psychologist would have said at that point and we're and we're kind of led to believe in the portrayal of dr kreisler here that like he is of our years ahead of his time he's of our time Mm -hmm. in that time and that was the way the book was was that and one of the things that was frustrating about the book it's basically the protagonists have these like 20th century, like late 20th century sensibilities, you know? So the woman, Dakota Fanning's character, like she's like a sort of 1990s style, like if you dropped a 1990s style feminist into that time, I mean, it's, it seems more so in the book, but she's just like, I can do anything a man can. And no, you can't vote. So you can't. Right. (laughs) So it, it just seems anachronistic, and it's the same like right what you were talking about. It's it's like okay, this guy's like sort of progressive in a 1990s kind of way, but that's just you know it just didn't ring true, right? Right. Uh, and I and who knows? I mean, we're only two episodes in, but the combination of those two episodes plus my memory of the book is not not real encouraging. All right. Well, I guess we should do that thing we do then and let our listeners know if they should check out. The television adaptation of The Alienist. It's on TNT. It's available to watch online. It's available on demand. So anybody could check it out, theoretically. Laura Bricker, would you recommend thumbs up or thumbs down that our listeners check out The Alienist? This is a tough one because I feel we're two episodes in. I'm kind of lukewarm on it. I don't love it. I don't hate it. But I am going to continue to watch it. I don't think it's going to be my favorite thing that I've ever watched. But you know what? If it's on, I'm probably going to see what happens in the next few episodes um, because I do like period pieces, even though I don't love everything so far. I've binged all the other ones that are out there, so I do need something new to watch. So I will say thumbs up. I wish we had a different way to rate that because it's not that I love it so much, but I think I'm going to give it another chance. All right. Toby, what about you? Yeah, I thought it was totally cringeworthy the entire way. Um, <laughs> Actually, thumbs way down. In your email to me, you wrote, the whole thing was just totally stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. I stand by that. Um, so yeah, Huge thumbs up. No, thumbs down. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to give it a thumbs down as well. I'm not saying I won't watch another episode. I might hate watch it a little bit because I do sort of like hokey things. But um, it's not good. I think that I'm really disappointed because this really was marketed like the amount of money that was spent in the marketing campaign for this show. It was really like an HBO sort of marketing campaign. Mm -hmm. I, I saw it, you know, not just on TV, but I saw it like in print. I saw it like online and all sorts of like pop-ups and it was just like a lot behind it. And with like a decent cast, I kind of thought it might maybe take this material and, and kick it up a notch, but similar criticism to what I said with Alias Grace, it feels stale. It feels like it could have been produced in the 90s and it isn't doing anything The 1890s. new. So I'm going to give it a thumbs down and I really wish... The poor actor who plays Theodore Roosevelt could learn where to put his hands while he's acting. What about you, Kevin? (laughs) I'm going to be a a thumbs down. Yeah, it's a prestige title. It's not prestige television. I I like Luke Evans, who plays John Moore. Yeah, he's good. And I do like Dakota Fanning. I'm not a fan of Daniel Brawl, who's playing the doctor. Mm -hmm. And he needs to carry the whole series. And he just seems kind of stiff. I just don't feel like it's a, it's a good fit and it's not fun when it doesn't fit right. Yeah. Which is like what happens with your bra unless you've got a third love bra. Did you know that, ladies, I'm going to tell you this. Did you know that 
most old school bras only carry 15 sizes. I love when you mansplain bras to us. A time to mansplain bras. Pull up a chair. <laughs> Let me tell you, there is only one lingerie brand that offers bras in sizes AA through G. Mm. That's 60 different sizes, including half cups, which nobody else has. So that's why you know you will find a perfect bra, and there's a perfect bra for everyone. And right now, our listeners can get 15% off their first order. Cool. 15%. Yeah. That's not a slouchy deal. <laughs> it's, it's, that deal doesn't it's sag. It has a lot of support. It does. Okay. Uh, what else, Toby? Do you got a pun you want to throw in? <laughs> I, I think I'm better off just sitting that that's, out. I think that's a good no call. No side boob in that deal. <laughs> you won't have any side boob. You know how you, how you do it is you, you go to Third Love's website and you go use their Fit Finder quiz. And you ask a couple of questions, some simple questions. It takes only about 60 seconds. You do it all from home so you don't have to you don't have one of those awkward fitting room experiences. You don't want that. Right, ladies? Yep. You know of what I speak. I do. No one knows how to put a bra back yeah. on that stupid hanger that it comes on. Uh, well, you don't want, do you want like some old I Russian woman there? I don't want some lady there? coming yeah. in and getting her little measuring tape nope. in and, you know. No way. No. Yeah, that's not cool. Try a third of bra. It's so comfortable you might forget you're wearing it. And if you don't agree, returns and exchanges are easy and free. So this year, make the change that will change the way you think about bras, Rebecca. Yes. Go to thirdlove.com slash crime now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash crime. Crime. Thirdlove.com slash crime. Crime. What else you got, Kevin? Well, are you tired of guessing what she wants for Valentine's Day? (laughs) Yes. Why don't you just read this ad directly to Toby? Toby, now that we've talked to the ladies... It's time to talk to the men. I'm all, I'm all ears. Hey, gents. Wouldn't you love an easy, fail-proof way to look like a pro on Valentine's Day? Well, this year, Fab Fit Fun is making it easier than ever by taking all of the guesswork out, and this gift is guaranteed to make her happy without breaking the bank. Is that that awesome box full of awesome stuff? Yes. I'm not talking to you right I'm now. Wearing... I'm talking to Toby. <laughs> okay. I'm wearing my little poncho right now. It's it's eliminated my space heater. It's awesome. Cat's out of the bag. It is the Fab Fit Fun box. Rebecca, tell everybody what FabFitFun is. It is a curated box full of awesome stuff that is picked by fashionistas, stylists, people who are in the know about great products for skin and, uh, you know, great things to wear and, like, great accessories. And the box that we got had, like, a beautiful, a very soft, like, cashmere, like, throw poncho in it. That's mm-hmm. what Lara is wearing right now to uh, reduce the need for her space heater. And I actually gave one of the boxes, the winter box, uh, to my best friend. And she and her daughter shared it and, like, fought over everything in the box. It was so awesome. Now, sometimes you'll get some cosmetic products. Yep. Uh, are they like the little sample sizes nope, at size. those other boxes? No, full, full size. size. And good brands. Yeah, cutting edge products in just about every category. Fantastic values. Many products whose individual value is more than the entire cost of the box. And you won't get any repeat products. So box after box will always be fresh, something new. A seasonal subscription box for busy women to discover new brands and products for a life well lived. So men, get to FabFit fun.com you'll get a box delivered four times a year for just 49.99 a box and the editor's box is available for purchase in between those seasonal boxes with newly discovered items so try fabfitfun today go to fabfitfun.com to subscribe and start getting the box for a life well lived use promo code crime Crime. to get ten dollars off your first box that's products valued at two hundred dollars that's good stuff for only 39.99 good stuff again for valentine's day men Get it going here at FabFitFun.com and use code CRIME to crime. get $10 off your first FabFitFun box. You won't regret it. I still wear the cozy socks that I got in my FabFitFun box. Is that where you got those? Yep, those like cozy slipper socks. Damn, girl. They're amazing. They're amazing. All right, now it's time for a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. They say instant karma's gonna get you. Knock you right off your feet. I don't think they say that. I think like John Lennon said that, right? You're going to really be this precious with the (laughs) crime of the week? 
Well, that is what happened. Instant karma, that is, in two separate heists by women in Washington state looking to steal packages from people's porches. In Everett, a woman who snatched some boxes was seen falling out of the getaway car when the driver sped off too fast. The culprit got up only to get a beatdown from the family's nanny who watched the whole thing unfold. Then in Linwood, a porch pirate slipped on wet mulch and broke her ankle. I mean really broke her ankle to the point where her whole foot is just flopping in the wind. Oh, you will see it on the video. Oh. Her getaway driver helped her to the car and then helped himself to the boxes that she dropped. Both failed heists were caught on surveillance video. Both porch pirates and their accomplices have been treated for their injuries and subsequently arrested. Now, here's my question. These crooks obviously were having a bad day that could have been avoided. What dire omens... Might they have missed that should have warned them to change their stealing ways? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to just state the obvious here. Um, Be aware of your surroundings. Um, (laughs) Surveillance camera house, probably not a good idea. It's been raining outside. The mulch is wet. Probably not a good idea. So, you know, they they didn't pay attention to what was going on. They were so focused on the prize. It's Washington. It's always raining there. It's true. It's true. What about you, Toby? Do you think that they uh, could have been ignoring some omens that may have warned them to change their ways? And if so, what were those omens? My sense was is that both those people had ordered things using the crime writers on <laughs> code. Promo code crime. <laughs> so I think that may have been the problem. I think you're on to something. I think perhaps that when someone has purchased something using the promo code crime, you should not steal their shit. You should not do it. That's yeah. an omen, right? That is. Right. I think the omen they may have missed is that it's illegal to steal things from people off their porches. Perhaps oh. if they, um, I don't know read the law, that should be enough to know. What do you think, Kevin? I think they should have known when at the other house the thing that they stole was a broken mirror <laughs> and got chased away by a black cat. I was like, time to hang it up. Yeah, yeah. And the morning, that morning when they picked up their umbrella, it opened up inside of their house by mistake. I'm like, damn. All right, let's go steal stuff. <laughs> Did they step on a crack that morning, too, as they were like walking out somewhere? I think the girl fell out of the car, <laughs> made a crack in the sidewalk <laughs> with her face. <laughs> All right, Laura Bricker, before we wrap things up this week, do we have a cat of the week this week? Well, Rebecca, in honor of you, we have a dog of the week. It's about time. Woof, woof, woof. (laughs) Tana Gallivan submitted this, and she said she would always pronounce my name correctly. So right there, she got me. I hate Um, her. I hate you, Tana. (laughs) She'll always be Laura to me. (laughs) She's got a picture. Rupert, the Chesky half chow, half husky dog is the most interesting dog in the world. Mm. While other dogs dig for bones, Rupert takes a more anthropological approach and lightly dusts his buried treasures and then sends them out for carbon dating. Cars chase him. (laughs) Although he has a large, clean water bowl, he prefers sticking his entire snout into the pitcher from whence the water originates, which he believes to be the purest water experience. Spontaneous parades pop up each time Rupert is cruising down the street. He is the most interesting dog in the world. Sure sounds like it. My dogs are kind yeah. of jealous right now. Mm. All right, Laura Bricker, if listeners want to reach out to you, perhaps on Twitter and submit their uh, cats, dogs, iguanas, birds, or other animals for Cat Slash Pet of the Week, how can they reach you? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if listeners want to reach out to you and perhaps debate you on the merits of Caleb Carr's 1994 novel, The Alienist, how can they reach you? At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if listeners want to reach out to you, how can they find you on Twitter? Oh, I got it. Breaking and entering. <laughs> what? The, the Porch Pirates. Breaking <laughs> and entering. Uh, I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. If you want to reach me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can also check out HGTV and Me. This week is the season finale of HGTV and Me, and it features. Our former Very Handsome Line producer, Henry Lavoie, please check it out. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks on the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular Facebook page. Go to our website, sign up for our newsletter, subscribe now to get exclusive ad-free content from Partners in Crime Media from our team at Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the promo code CRIME for a free month. If you love the show or any of our other podcasts, please tell a friend. Leave a review on iTunes. It makes a huge difference. Line production, 
by me. Our theme song was performed by the very handsome Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble. This show was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the bodega in East St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C. And before that, the closet in our basement where Teddy Roosevelt kept his boxing gloves and the actor who played him should have taken acting lessons. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. The signal looks terrible, but the only thing we can do is power through. It'll come back. I think it's because everybody's getting off in my house. <laughs> Everyone's getting off in your house? Um, sorry, that was... Nice. I, I don't know. <laughs> awesome. I don't know what's going on in my house. Jeez. What kind of uh, internet is everybody using? Is Fireman Ken doing his like opening to an adult film Fireman Ken routine? <laughs> is he polishing the pole? <laughs> Is he reeling the hose? Oh, <laughs> Is he connecting the snorkel? Is he waxing the truck? Waxing the truck. <laughs> Is he feeding the Dalmatian? Oh, God. God. <laughs> Hey, listeners, you can check out extra content from Crime Writers on, plus early drops of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, and HGTV and Me with no ads by subscribing to Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime and use the code crime to subscribe and you'll get one month free for a whole lot of additional Partners in Crime Media content, including... Our new podcast is exclusive to Stitcher Premium called Married Married with Podcast. You sound so enthusiastic. Yep, it's called Married with Podcast, and it's great. Check it out at stitcherpremium.com slash crime Crime. and use the code crime at checkout for a free month. Partners in Crime Media. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 